0: A bonus discussion here on Directors Club, a Movies You Should See episode. I'm your host, Jim Laskowski, and well, I wanted to have this conversation as kind of an hour long pre show or prelude, if you will, to my upcoming episode recording in a couple weeks with actor filmmaker Keith Gordon when we discuss some underrated films of the 1960s. But the film we're going to discuss today is indeed of that era and a special one at that. Another recent favorite of mine from a director whose work I'm curious to learn more about. But I couldn't do this alone. I needed an expert fresh from his experience at the TCM Classic Film Festival, the walking Wikipedia of film knowledge himself, Mr. Sergio Mims. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. How are you doing? (laughs) Yay. Yay. Good to have you back. Good to talk with you again. Mm-hmm. Um before we launch into a conversation about a true blue classic, we could say, uh we recently just lost another great character actor. I mean, right after Fred Ward, and I I just wanted to briefly acknowledge how much of a fan I was of Mr. Ray Liotta, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, the sad thing is that Great character actors these days are far and few in between. Yeah. They really are. I mean, if you look back, you know when I know about older films. You look at the 30s and 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. You had great, great character actors. Um, as I said about Fred Ward, uh, no matter what movie he was in, he made it better. Exactly. And that's what great character actors do. And Ray Liotta was a character actor and he was he had the career that I think every actor wishes they could have <laughs> he was a working actor right he was what the English called a jobbing actor I mean this is a guy who worked for with everybody from Mark Scorsese to Ubo Bo. <laughs> that's right Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah that's the career you want as an actor. He did TV commercials. He did TV. He did everything. Yeah. Nothing was too big. Nothing was too small. And when you look at a career that lasted 40 years, a lot of people realize how long he'd been acting. He started out in soap operas for 40 years, and I didn't even bother to look at the list of credits.
0: Holy cow. And I didn't realize that he was on another world for like three or four years. Yeah.
1: jeez. And the thing about it is, is that in that in that career, you're going to do some classics like Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people will put in Field of Dreams. I'm not a <laughs> baseball know. guy. I know how you so feel about that one. Yep. The appeal of that movie has always went by me. And there were a lot of memes. There were a lot of tributes um, to uh, Ray Liotta. Uh, from Field of Dreams, and uh, I'm sorry, the movie good just goes past me. I'm not a baseball guy. <laughs> I'll
0: forgive you. I'll forgive you right. for that. <laughs> but
1: still, I mean, another really terrific actor. At times, a really great actor. And um, they're they're being they're really irreplaceable.
0: Mm-hmm. They really are. Yeah. And I mean, just the fact that, like you mentioned, anytime he appeared in something – it's automatically elevated. Like I I think of something like awful unlawful entry, which is yes, a typical (laughs) domestic thriller of that era, you know, and he's nuts in that movie. Yeah. Really nuts. Yeah. But charming at the same time, (laughs) you know, because he's Ray Liotta. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, and, and
1: you know what, I'm sure there are, films that are coming out um posthumously mm. that he was in he was working on a film when he passed away so uh, and you look at his other movies you know um something wild i think that was the oh. movie that people really really started noticing him yeah one of my favorites it, right so uh some and something wild copland which i think he's very good in yes um I mean what a extraordinary career. I know yes, there's Hannibal. Eric <laughs> and I have a have a <laughs> have a disagreement about Hannibal. I, I think Hannibal is well let's face it, he has the standout scene in the movie. Of course. But it's a scene that repulses me. Well, with good reason, sure. Because I think it's a bit of a cheap shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean, a cheap shot is that the case of cannibal, uh, Hannibal Lecter in that, well, he only kills people who you want to see being punished in some way.
0: Sure. That's yeah. how you
1: get to be on Hannibal Lecter's side. See, yeah. If Hannibal Lecter went after people you like, you wouldn't like him. Mm-hmm. See, that's kind of like the cheap shot thing of it, but Hannibal is one of those movies that I was first time I saw it, it was like oh, <laughs> and then I saw it again maybe like two weeks later because I said it will affect me the same way. I was like oh
0: yeah, but eh, um, it's okay. Yeah, I don't love it, it,
1: but you know. But I don't. I'm not i am going to dwell on that. It's just that he he was a, a tremendous actor, a tremendous, presence great intensity. Absolute great intensity. And um, he's going to be sorely missed. And as I said, character actors like him uh, are becoming fewer and fewer. And it's our loss and it's movie's loss.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. And even recently in something like No Sudden Move, he makes a, a, a real impact with just a small supporting role. Right, which is a film
1: I didn't care for. I didn't care for that movie at all. I was very disappointed in that movie. But boy, when he's on the screen, it comes sure. alive.
0: Yeah, same with Mary's Story. He shows up in that smaller role, but... Oh, yeah, as a lawyer. Oh, yeah. he's tremendous in that scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and very funny uh, in something like um, Heartbreakers, which is a ridiculous movie, but I still find it entertaining nonetheless. It's too long. That was kind of my major issue with it, but... It's very entertaining and Gene Hackman is <laughs> doing a ridiculous like compulsively smoking Lothario of some kind or whatever. I think he's like a tobacco industry guy, like corporate yeah, in right. that and that <laughs> yeah. Both both him and uh yeah, both both him and Ray Liotta in Heartbreakers kinda of makes me laugh. But uh yeah. No, I mean like you said, he's gonna be Sorely missed. It just—it too soon. Like some, some people are just going too quickly. God, what a beautiful feeling. We could have swum around the world in those days. That was before we ever touched a drink, or a cigarette, or a girl, or a girl. That doesn't sap a man's strength. Or I'd be in a wheelchair today. Ned girl, still bragging. I never heard anyone talk like you come with me be my love (laughs) that i've heard before not for me you're no different than any other guy
1: oh but i am i'm a very special human being there you were smiling saying hello one hour before that you'd been in bed with me i put that smile on your face you damned hypocrite
0: the uh Main topic of this this discussion, which is the swimmer, right. uh, directed by Frank Perry, written by his wife Eleanor Perry,
1: right.
0: And just as a quick aside or a tease, I won't be on for an episode later in the year because um, got a new co-host. Well, a lot of people know and love him, but uh, Bill Ackerman is going to also oh, uh, host some episodes. Every other month. Excellent. Excellent. Obviously, I can continue to review uh, new films when I see them. And, of course, do my own director-centric episodes. Like, I've already got one in in the books on the calendar with you and uh, Brian Tallarico for later in the year. Can't wait for that. Uh But, um, yeah, no, I just, Bill Ackerman wanted to cover Frank Perry, and he's going to do so. Okay. With um, Jonathan Hertzberg of Fun City Edition. So, okay, very good. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I can just sit back and listen with joy. I'm sure I'll even try to catch up on some of the ones uh, from this director that I haven't seen yet, like uh, Play It As It Lays. Uh, that's
1: hard to find. I've heard. let um, yeah. get into that. There's a hard, it's never been available. It, I, it probably will be soon because, like the swimmer, it has gone through this revival. Right. And so I would not be surprised if Kino, probably sometime later this year, comes out with it. It's just, it's a film that's just never been available.
0: Hmm. Yeah, but oddly enough, this also played, I believe, at a TCM Classic Film Festival not too long ago, and it was introduced by Alison Anders. Uh, and it's just so it's perfect for you to come on to talk about this film, but also I personally think it's a damn near perfect movie that, um, it, it made me wonder. And I'm sure there's been a lot of uh stories before you know around this era that ta- that tackles toxic masculinity or masculine panic, mm-hmm. but this just yeah. you know feels so right with that era. In a way that, um, you know, a lot of films nowadays sort of tackle that subject and, you know, rightfully so. But this just felt like, was this one of the earliest examples of that? Though I guess you could probably go back to something like Death of a Salesman, of course, you know, if you mm-hmm. want to you know, go to the thematic material. But this is a lot of things. It's a midlife existential crisis movie. It's a movie about class and suburban ennui and self-deception. So there's a lot to unpack but I'm just oh, curious. Always I call
1: it suburban suburban angst.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um <laughs> definitely. But uh and we're going to we're going to have to talk about the final scene. Oh, yeah. Um w- even though it's a it's a twist shock ending uh because I also talk about it and also I have some questions. Sure. I have some questions. You know, I've always wondered about this film. Um it, it, I first saw this film on TV. Um, um, they, they used to show it on television in the, in the early '70s or in the '70s, like um, the the CBS Friday Night Movie, was showed hmm. this picture. And uh, it was released in the summer of 1968. a lot, a lot of films that are considered classics today, it, it was not a box office hit, and it got torn apart in, uh, by the critics. Uh, with the exception of the New York Times, it sort of like reluctantly liked it. I think Ebert loved it, right? Yeah, okay. I was wondering what Ebert thought about it. I forgot to look up, look to his review up. Um, And it's based on a short story by John Cheever. Now, briefly, John Cheever was called the checkoff of the suburbs. (laughs) Makes sense. Um, He's not really talked about much today, but he was kind of a big deal in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. He wrote... um, some novels, but he was mainly known for his short stories. Mm-hmm. He wrote maybe hundreds of them. And it was usually published in the New Yorker. And he dealt with this kind of subject. They, they, all, they, they all took place either in the east side of New York or I- imaginary towns in Westchester County. And Westchester County is just north of New York City. It's like the equivalent to Chicago's North Shore. Right, okay. But it's it's more. it's actually more... Um, socially e- economically diverse. Southern, s- southern, um, Worcester County is more middle class. Towns like uh, Bronxville, Mont Vernon, which is now uh, heavily a black population, uh, Yonkers. And then when you go further north, you have towns like Arnock, Pound Ridge, Bedford Hills, Chappaqua, <laughs> um, very wealthy, very elitist. And I've read the short story, which came out in 63, I want to say, in The New Yorker. And since the movie is like 95 minutes, of course, they add characters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, add scenes, um, but it's pretty faithful to the short story. Uh, They do switch around some of the events as they occur in the movie, like the scene involving the store owners, the shopkeepers. Um, That happens early on. Ah, okay. Okay, and the movie very smartly puts that close to the end. And also the scene with the rich nude couple. (laughs) There isn't a scene with the chauffeur that that's that's for, that was made for the movie, and also there's a line in that scene in the short story that gives away the ending. Oh, huh. so that that was removed from the movie. Interesting.
0: Uh, the scene. With I the, feel like they're hinting at it, like all the conversations. What well, they hinting through
1: throughout the whole movie. That's yeah. why
0: the shock Andy may not be really much of a shock. Yeah, really that's kind of how
1: I felt. Right shouldn't be it was a shock when i first saw it but i first saw like in the 70s i was like (gasps) you know (laughs) but now when you see it now you go like yeah this is where it's going um and uh yeah the scene with the child and the empty pool that's not in the short story so but it's pretty faithful um now to go back to frank perry and his wife eleanor Frank Perry and Eleanor came, they started out, they came from the independent, American independent film movement. Right. Mm -hmm. People like uh, Larry Pierce and other people from the East Coast independent film movement. And like Larry Pierce, Frank Perry also went Hollywood. You know, he was later to go on to direct Mommy Dearest. No! He, well, his last movie was a documentary of covering about his death. He, he, he developed cancer. Oh. And he made a documentary about dealing with his upcoming death. That was t- t- officially his last movie. Wow. Okay. Um, a, a documentary he made. Um, but the, the, but he and uh, Eleanor Perry, his then wife, he, he went on to marry three times. But um, they were a team. And she wrote the screenplays. He directed the movies. The first movie, the first movie he ever moved he ever made was David and Lisa. And that's a movie about two um, two young people who have emotional and mental issues to fall in love. And that became an art house sensation. It's a film that used to show like a lot on PBS. Hmm. And then after that he made they made Ladybug Ladybug, which is about uh, a group of children who are sent home when there is a threat of a when, – when, during a, a – um, Cuban Missile Crisis, right? A Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. And it has a really disturbing ending. Oh,
0: man. Where
1: – is it really happening or is the child's imagination? I need to see both of those movies. Goodness. Yeah, you have to see both of them. Uh, Ladybug, Ladybug, I think Keno came out with that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they did. I think last year. Yeah. Uh, Definitely, some you may be able to find it online. And then he does some TV stuff, and then he does the swimmer. And so he jumps right into the deep end of the pool because this <laughs> literally, is, literally because this is a studio film, Columbia Pictures, produced by Sam Spiegel, even though he took his name off. And Sam Spiegel, of course, uh, produced Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge on the River Kwai, On the Waterfront. Uh, Orson Welles, the stranger, and you had one of the Jeez. biggest movie stars in the world, Burt Lancaster. And needless to say, and used another metaphor: oil and water didn't mix. Oh, they did not get along. Oh, now you have to understand, Burt Lancaster at this time, when he ran the set, and you had to be a very strong director to deal with Lancaster, like a Richard Brooks. <laughs> who directed him several times, or, or a, a Sidney Pollack. Sure. And I'll get into Sidney Pollack later, again. Frank Perry, he was more loose. He was from the independent world. He, he liked to go with the flow.
0: Yeah, And clearly. they
1: didn't mix. It didn't go well. To make a long story short, uh, they had to bring in several editors. Uh, the film wasn't working right. They, uh, Sam Spiegel was not happy with the film. Reshoots were done, and I'll, I'll talk about those reshoots later and who did them. But what happened was sometimes out of chaos comes beauty. Mm-hmm. And what comes out was this extraordinary picture. Uh, and when I say reshoots, really there's only one major scene that was reshot. Only one. And I'll get into that. And that also involves another famous director. <laughs> oh boy! Which I'll get it
0: yeah, so I again. didn't get. I didn't get a chance. I know there's like a five part documentary on that um, grindhouse releasing. Uh, yeah, which movie. I have.
1: It's two and a half hours.
0: Yeah, that's long. <laughs> yeah, it's longer than the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, but I'm curious because, like I said, I've I've seen this movie twice, and because I'm getting older, I don't know. Maybe because he he he's kind of this. At the start, at least, he's this like, confident dude in a speedo who's like a big kid. Like he well, just... He's in painting trunks. And don't forget, Burt Lancaster, he was in his mid-50s Yeah, when he made this. He's in phenomenal
1: shape. Unbelievable. He was an acrobat. Yeah. And the thing about this movie is that he did something. Some actors do this, but very few actors do this again, do, do this now. As he got older he wasn't afraid to show his vulnerabilities. For sure. And there were actors of this period that, from his time, that did. Gary Cooper did it. Uh, Robert Taylor did it. John Wayne did it.
0: Oh, yeah, Robert Taylor, for sure. As they got
1: older. They show, I'm not the guy I was 20, 30 years ago. I'm older. You know, I have weaknesses. You know, Tom Cruise will never do a film like this.
0: no. No. no, um although I'd like to I'd like to see that i would i almost I would. Would, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind uh I like like a remake of this by maybe <laughs> I don't know Darren Aronofsky or something <laughs> like- yeah I would very much love to I mean he's at the point now he can he can afford to do it he can yeah. really
1: do it. but the thing about this picture' likenca said letter this like I said letter this is one of his favorite roles and he saw one of his best performances. Agreed, and it's true because as the movie goes on, we see him getting weaker. We see we see the he just ages in front of his eye, uh, you know, in, in front of in front of his in front of our eyes. You know, his limp becomes more pronounced. Mm-hmm. He injures himself, but becomes more pronounced.
0: Yeah, I mean, is, 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 like because he, he starts off as Bert Lancaster, like this right. god, and then he slowly that whittles smile. down. That, that famous smile. <laughs> yeah. He, he becomes a pathetic kind of lost soul. And, 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 yeah, the weather shifts, you know. and Oh, yeah. And it sort of just reflects him, <laughs> you know, going from being really sunny and then to really dark and lost and sh- becoming a shell of a human being by the end. And we should talk about the premise, which is very simple very. and
1: actually very clever. And he plays a guy named Ned Merrill. And he showed, and like I said, throughout it, one summer day, maybe in July, 80 degrees, in the 80s, and all he wears throughout this entire movie is a pair of swimming shorts. That's all he wears. And he shows up at some friend's house, and he dives in their, their pool, and they're happy to see him, and, you know, they pass him on drinks and all that sort of stuff. He begins to, he comes up with this idea. He said, you know what? If I follow a certain path back to my house, every house has a swimming pool. It's like a sort of river, which he calls the Lucinda River.
0: After his wife.
1: wife. Yep. So I can kind of swim my way back home. And when you think it, they go, wow, that's great. That's a really great idea. Like swim your way back home. We never know how far his home is from where he starts off. It could be a mile away, it could be two miles away. But um, so that's what he does. He goes on this journey, going from house to house. Now, and we every encounter he has, we find out a little bit more about Ned. Some people are happy to see him. Some people are not happy to see him. And as we go as we go along and follow Ned on this day long journey, in effect swimming his way back home, we find
0: out that Ned is something of a fraud. Yeah, he's like this uh, testosterone soaked explorer that wants to assert himself in the world again after uh, losing touch with everything. You know, his his family, himself, his sense of, of security is gone. And he sees this Trek as being the answer, the way to get back to what he used to be. Because, yeah, he's, he's 55, but when he was younger, he could swim and swim and swim and get all the girls and have all the money and everything would be great. But that's... Things have changed. It's
1: kind of going on a lot of thematic ideas, very thematic ideas. Yeah, it's a movie with so many layers,
0: but it's but it it's under this very simple story idea. And I that's what I it's love so about it, idea. like the simplicity of the yeah, setup the simplicity of this movie, right? The setup simplicity of this movie, and it's and it's something like, in a way, even Ned himself thinks this, this journey is simple. For him. And so we're on this journey with him and we learn along with him that this journey is not going to be this sort of idyllic, um, you know, uh, adventure that's going to lead him to where he wants to be. And it's it's hard. I mean, I think the film can be summed up with that great line of dialogue. He says to the kid at one point, I believe if you believe hard enough that something is true, then it is true for you. Yeah. So it's really about like creating that facade. So you don't have to deal with, you know, the trauma or the harsh reality that he's trying to avoid. Basically. Like I, I, I imagine he's gone through, a horrible divorce or some sort of nervous breakdown or a loss of a job or all of those things, I'm guessing. Well, all those things. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, and he, we go through different, so many different emotions with him because mm-hmm. at first we like him. We think he's a great guy. And then after a while, we begin not to like him, find out some not so nice things about him. Uh, and and then, he's kind of a creep uh, at one point. Good Lord. Right. <laughs> uh, particularly this young girl that he picks up along the yep. way. Uh, and then he, uh, what well, <sighs> let me pick up is a woman, uh, a young woman who used to be a babysitter for his family. And she goes along with him in this romantic journey. She thinks it's going to be fun. until he starts, of course, putting the moves on her, putting her hand on his stomach.
0: <sighs> and,
1: you know, a field of wheat, as he calls it. And um, she runs away, creeps him out. Uh, we find out he had an affair with a with an actress played by Janice Rule. Um, but then he becomes uh, pathetic.
0: Right. Yeah, Literally, and literally it, the only thing I don't care for is how long that montage lasts between Julianne and Ned. Like they're rummaging through fields and jumping over hurdles together. I mean, I know it's... Paint is like this, you know, beatific, idealistic interpretation and like kind of romanticizing their their time together. But it, it kind of goes on a little bit long, even though. Well, obviously yeah,
1: it's that, that's that's 60s filmmaking.
0: Yeah. That's oh, yeah.
1: Late 60s filmmaking, particularly those scenes when they're they're walking and they superimpose those close ups of her looking at the yep. camera, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a, it's a break shampoo commercial. <laughs> exactly. Because right. that's what you saw in Breck Shapoo commercials at that period, right? He mm-hmm. was the thing back then. Yeah. Um, the montage sequence. Um, and I should talk about when I talk about another director that became involved. The, 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 the big reshoot was the scene with Janice Rule, the actress. Um, that was a scene that was actually reshot in California hmm. by Sidney Pollock. Really? Yeah. Originally, and this is what brings in another director. (laughs) Originally, that scene was shot in Westchester County. This movie was shot entirely in location in Westchester County. There are a few obvious studio shots. Exterior studio shots. That that sequence was shot with an actress by the name of of Barbara Loden. Oh, Wanda! She made Wanda. she made Wanda, and she at the time was married to Ilya Kazan. Oh my gosh! It all it all comes full circle. That's amazing. She was married to Ilya Kazan. At the wow. Time. The story behind it was that, um, according to the documentary. They shot this scene, something went out of control. Like I said, Frank Perry was loosey-goosey, kind of direct to go with it, go with the flow. And unfortunately, that footage doesn't exist, but the stills do. And actually that scene with Barbara Loden became actually violent. Now he didn't, he didn't hurt her or anything, but like he grabs her and he throws her in the water. He rips off the top of her, of her swimming, uh, of her, of her, of her, uh, the swimming suit she's wearing. They don't know what really what happened. They don't know. They just got carried away by the scene. They don't know if Perry told him to go there or Perry told, lancaster to go there Hmm. but according to the crew members they were shocked they said oh my god perry loved it he loved the scene. he loved how it went okay um he uh uh, when i mean he i mean uh, sam spiegel he didn't like that scene so he called kazan he said i'm gonna show this picture I just finished uh, this in post-production. I want you to take a look at it. Now, Kazan knew, of course, his wife was in the picture. Right. Mm. And, of course, Kazan didn't like that scene at all. He said, that scene's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to (laughs) go. And Loden didn't know about this. She did not know that Spiegel showed it to her husband. She didn't know that. She was told later that that scene was being reshot. And she was devastated, which led her to doing Wanda. Wild, he said. Because he said, "I'm never, I'm never going to be able to do anything as long as I'm Mrs. Ilya Kazan. I yeah. got to do something." So, but it still works, you know. I would love this. I, I love to have seen the original footage. I would no love kidding? It.
0: that sounds amazing to me.
1: Yeah. Now, the ending of the film we got to talk about is that after he goes through this all day journey. And he, you know, things just gets worse and worse for him. He goes to a house where um, they're having a a, party and uh, he comes on to a (laughs) a very young Joan Rivers. Oh, yes. (laughs) Uh, And he sees a cart. This is when you know things have really gone bad for him. It's a cart that he once owned that evidently the owner found in a garage sale. Or something.
0: Yeah, I guess his wife is responsible.
1: Yeah, his wife put in there, and he repeated it. And Lancaster goes through the whole thing. You know, I'm. You know, what's what's the line he says? I'll pay you double for it. And everybody laughs at him. Everybody laughs because everybody knows I'll pay you double. Get this guy. (laughs) And of course, here's the thing. If you notice, as he gets closer to his home. More people know who he is. The farther he way, the farther the away he is from his house at the beginning of the movie and the people he has seen in a long time, they don't know what's happening. That's a to good him. point. I
0: hadn't thought of that. You're right, especially once they get to that uh, public swimming pool. And when he gets to the public swimming pool oh. and he runs into
1: those people who um he's a deadbeat. They you know, he yeah. you know uh they own stores and businesses and they haven't paid. Yeah,
0: your daughter doesn't and, your daughters don't like you at all <laughs> yeah that sort you, of you stuff see what yeah. the
1: daughter say about you yeah. my daughter's at home playing tennis right now he goes he finally gets home it's raining the temperature has dropped he finally gets home and we notice things are off we notice that the tennis court is in disrepair hasn't been used in years and finally when he gets to his house his house is empty Yep. And the camera actually goes through a broken window, and we see that nobody has lived in the house for years. And we see – and we go back, and the last scene is Lancaster at this doorstep crying, pleading to come in. As the storm is raging. And just music by Marvin, Marvin Hamlisch, his first film score, which may be overly dramatic, but I still think it works.
0: I think so. Uh, it took me a while to warm up to it. I think even on the first yeah, viewing, exactly. I was like, this is a bit much. It but. is a bit
1: much. Yeah, but I think it does work in, 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 in the whole.
0: Yeah. And we find out that it has nothing.
1: Everything is gone. Which brings me to two questions I always have. And two answers I have, possible answers. Hmm. What does he come from? Because when we first see him, it's an overhead shot, and we see Ned Lancaster moving through this wooded area, and then into these people's, you know, property, and he dives into a pool.
0: What does he come from? That's a great question because, like, yeah, it's like a bird's eye or God's eye. <laughs> yeah I'm like overhead. Well, he, well, of course he couldn't have come from his house. no. And he didn't come, so, we didn't see him get out of a car or anything. No, you know what I tell you what my theory is, okay? I think he came from an asylum. That's I was just gonna say that's that makes complete sense.
1: I think he's he had a complete nervous breakdown. And I think one day he had a moment of clarity or remembered, somehow got some swimming Mm tanks, which may be the places nearby, and sort of start reliving his life, the people he knew.
0: He's he's looking for redemption. (laughs) Right. And the question I have is, at the end of the movie, what happens to him at the end? Well... He's certainly not going to get into his home. So I don't know. He's going to get picked up by, by the people that run the asylum once they figure out he's escaped. I don't know. I
1: think, I think he dies. Ugh. I think he dies.
0: That just I makes th- it
1: all the more it, tragic. If continues on, I, I think if this was, he would be found dead at his doorstep. Dead from exposure. Mm. Temperature has dropped. Yeah. You know, everything, I think, heart, broken heart, I think he, he, he found dead. I think once the reality has set in that it's no longer there, I think it's too much for him to bear. Now, let me tell you the happy ending they didn't shoot, right? I can't imagine that. The happy that. ending they came up with was that he's at his house trying to get in, and Janice Rule drives up and finds him. And takes him back to her place. That was that was the ending they thought to Oh my god! idiotic. It was idiotic, idiotic. I think the movie ends perfectly. I think that's it. I think it's because this movie has no possible happy outcome. I think he dies. That's, I think there's nothing enough for him.
0: That's certainly plausible because. You're right. Who's going to, who is going to come and get him? And, you know, like, yeah. I mean, she tries at one point to, like, you know, put a towel over him and comfort him, Uh, Janice Rule's character. And that goes south really fast because he tries to seduce her again. And clearly she's not on that same wavelength anymore. And, uh, yeah, that's that whole scene with them is just really. it's painful to watch because it's clear that he's starting to realize that he's not the man that he thinks he is, or even the relationship he thinks they had together was, was, was its own kind of facade, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. And the part that really moves me is when he he says nothing turns out the nothing's turned out the way I thought it would. I used to believe in things. Uh, people seemed happier. People used to love one another. What happened? And you know, it, uh, they sort of break down together and realize their place, and there's nothing they can do. There's nothing left to rekindle. but Yeah, none. as a
1: matter of fact, there's an earlier scene with, who's the actor's name? Dana Malber, where she kind of invites him to his house. You know, well, you know, why don't you come over to my place? And he says something like, well, no, you know, Lucinda and the wife are waiting for me. And she gets very mad. <laughs> That's right. And, yeah. And so, like, well, he's just a womanizer. He's, he's had, every day he has a reputation among. You know, those people up there sleeping around with other women, you know, other men's wives, you know, clearly. Um, but it's a tragedy. I mean, that's why I guess some people maybe turn up. By, but it's a tragedy. We find out so much when he sees what uh, the scene I like is when he um, he's so clueless. The, the scene with the black chauffeur oh, was right. played by Bernie Hamilton, who's in uh, one potato, two potato. And he was in the TV show Starsky and Hutch. He played the captain. Ah, okay. And and um he mistakes him for a chauffeur the Couple had before. And he's mm. so condescending to this guy. Yeah. Oh, he had such a big smile, he could sing. And Hamilton says, and a natural sense of rhythm, yep, he sure did. Said, oh brother. Oh. <sighs> Painful. And then when he meets the couple, who is this it's still is a joke, they're they're nudists, right? <laughs> He says, they're having some fundraiser. And he says, well, I'll buy a table. Really? You'll
0: buy uh, a table? Yeah. Sure, I'll buy a table. This movie's about yeah. n- denial of, yeah, like self-deception and just thinking, oh, I I I can I used to do these things, so I should, should be able to still do them. Like when he wants to get his hot dog cart back. <laughs> it's like i right. have my lawyers call you, you know. i have my lawyers call you. And everybody yeah. laughs
1: at him, right? Yeah. Or
0: when a guy says,
1: oh, that's so I'm so sorry to hear how they treated you at that job, you know, with this young guy. It was so terrible, you know. We're finding more and more clues about him. Like, right, he was a big deal on maybe on Wall Street, on Madison Avenue. And like a lot of guys of that period of that time, he got replaced. His wife probably fed up with him his girls as we hear never respected him Mm -hmm. that's why i say he must have come from asylum because i think he's still reliving this dream this fantasy world this perfect world that he lived in a couple years earlier where everything was right and when reality keeps being thrown in front of his face more and more the facade cracks away
0: i know it's a weird comparison but A film that I thought of watching this again, because it's one I want to actually dive into a little deeper and even write about at some point. It's Shutter Island, because that movie is also about creating this alternate reality, alternate version of yourself that actually doesn't exist. You know, it's again, it's like both characters can't deal with what they've been through. You know, they, they both been through some heavy stuff and it's gotten to the point where, yeah, they're, they're delusional that, and they don't believe that what's happened has actually happened and they refuse to face it in a way. So (laughs) I don't know. It's, it, 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 this one does definitely like a lot of the reading I did sort of compared the ending to like, oh, it's like the Twilight Zone or something, but... No, it is, no. No, I I wouldn't go that far. I think it's inevitable, you know?
1: And another movie which also sort of, of, in some ways, thematically uh, resembles is the original version of the Stepford Wives. Mm. With Catherine Ross, because once again, that's about... Essentially, a group of men who are trying to create a perfect world with obedient wives. Uh, The movie, which I always say, Get Out stole a lot from. (laughs) No kidding. A hell of a lot. But that movie also is about creating a false world Mm -hmm. in Westchester County, New York. I can probably see why this film was not popular when it came out because a lot of people, I see, didn't want to believe that that kind of thing was true.
0: Oh, they weren't ready for it, yeah.
1: They weren't ready for it. They think that, uh, you know, are you kidding me? Those people have not made. No, well, f- financially, they may have it. Made. And actually, in some ways, financially, they didn't have it made. They were on um, pins and needles. They were, like, struggling, you know, to keep up appearances. Yeah. So, um this is a fascinating film. I love this film to death. Uh, ever since the first time I saw it, I've always been fascinated by this picture. The swim is quite a unique picture. And it was a movie that was very much, one of those movies that was very much ahead of its time, but at the very, say, very same time of its time.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a parable for the failure of the American dream Yeah, right before Easy Rider. You know, like, that sort of reinvented cinema at a time of upheaval and political strife and just a lot going on in the public consciousness.
1: Well, there were a couple of movies in the 1950s that also dealt with urban angst. Movies like The Man in the Gray Final Suit. One movie which I love to death, um, Strangers When We Meet, Kirk <laughs> Douglas and Kim, and Kim Novak. That's another film hmm. that was sort of laughed at and neglected and now it's 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 uh considered one of the great well i wouldn't say one of the great but people say this is a really one of the better movies in the 1960s that deals with suburban angst hmm. and as sam ham says you know sam ham talks the screenwriter sam ham talks about trailers from hell he says this may be the best movie about Adultery that Hollywood ever made. I agree with him. Damn, that's that's a movie that has been. I, I've re, I've read a couple of articles now reevaluating that movie and it said, oh my god, how people didn't see this at the time. Yeah, there are movies about suburban angst, and and I, I'm fascinated by Oh, what's another one with Paul Newman from the Terrace, with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, which starts off as um. As a movie about, um, uh, it's a movie about a, 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 a disintegrating marriage.
0: Oh, wonderful! Like it's all, movie all been... those movies sound light years better than something like American Beauty, which when uh, that came...
1: I didn't care for, it, you know, yeah. and, and and Revolutionary Road, which I didn't care for. Yeah, it I... wanted to be that kind of movie, and it was so plastic, mm-hmm. and so it was like everything was embalmed in amber.
0: Yeah, I think the performances in Revolutionary Road, at least, carried it. It made it a little interesting, just because, like, oh, it's Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, and they were in Titanic, and but then you had Michael Shannon, who obviously stole that movie too. That at least those three performances made it interesting, even if that's a, you know, a storyline or or themes that have, have been done to death. Right, you know,
1: it, 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 they were done like in the, in the sixties in fifties. You
0: know. <laughs> yeah, no, but I I find this these these types of movies to be endlessly interesting, especially when you go back. You know, even something like what we talked about with the uh, Nicholas Ray's "Bigger Than Life." You know, oh,
1: that's another one. Oh my God, that's a classic one.
0: Yeah, right. yeah, and I, I every time I see that too, I'm just kind of amazed. Like, wow, talk about ahead of its time. You know? Yeah, really. So, yeah, no, this is, I I really do encourage people to seek this one out, especially if you want to think about toxic masculinity at that point in time. And it still holds up and it's still thematically relevant. And, hey, I love to swim, so I get something out of it.
1: Yeah, this is worth checking out. It's really, really worth checking out. Um, And then I should say that after he made The Swimmer, Perry made what is perhaps his most disturbing picture. He went back and made another independently made movie called Last Summer.
0: Oh, yeah, which Patrick and I talked about a long time ago because I think it was on the TCM channel and he dvr it.
1: Was it really? Because I I talked to Larry Or I've been in touch with him about this movie. This is a movie he loves. Oh, yeah, it's so good. And I told him I heard, I was told, That Warner Archive was trying to restore this picture to release it. Oh,
0: that'd be great.
1: And unfortunately, one of the reels of the negative was lost. (sighs) Reportedly. I told him that he was very hurt when I told him, I said, I, that's what I, that's what I was told or I heard. They, <laughs> they couldn't do it because they had to go back to, they want to restore to get the negative and the negative was lost. So they may have to do a digital restoration of a print, you know, Yeah, but that's a movie that turns very, <sighs> u- very, very ugly.
0: Yeah, and another
1: devastating it, movie. Yeah, and the thing about it, you have these perfect white blonde WASP kids. Uh, Bruce Davison was this Bruce season? Bruce Davison, I think, it was his first movie. I think yeah. it was the first. Movie. And and you know the perfect WASP kids, and they're ugly. Mm-hmm.
0: They're
1: ugly. Yeah, one of the first movies to get an X rating. Oh. When the first, when the rating system came out, when the X rating came out, when the very first ones to get an X rating because of that final scene, sure. Um, uh, not surprisingly, so. Um, so anyway, yeah, check out the swimmer if you can, and some of you know other Frank Perry's <laughs> earlier work. Yeah, David and Lisa, Ladybug, Ladybug. Okay, if you have to, Mommy Dearest, if if you really have to, but. Uh <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know he his career encompasses, and like I said, he I think he he and his oh, Diary of a Mad housewife. Yes, that one's with, very, good. Kino, thats on Kino. yeah, uh, with a commentary by including Larry Kurnziski. um And as I said, play is a lace um that's hard to find maybe you're searching the internet maybe you can find it that's a hard movie to find uh but do not be surprised i am predicting right now that it's coming out um definitely on blu-ray i'm taking the guest Kino or somebody else very soon because that's another movie too that was sort of overlooked and neglected when it came out in 72 i want to say uh but now there are so many people in articles and people saying that this is for the last several years. This is one of the great films in the nineteen seventies mm-hmm. that really captured the spirit and the tone of the times.
0: Well, it's funny because if I'm not mistaken, let me see, let me, let me, let me confirm because I thought actually Bill did a commentary for Diary of a Mad Housewife. Oh no, maybe I'm thinking of Puzzle of a Downfall Child. My bad. Yeah. No, 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 that's, that's 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 not Frank Perry. Right.
1: No, as right. a matter of fact, I just saw that film two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, Schatzberg, right. Okay. Yeah, I Schatzberg.
1: yeah, it was Jerry Schatzberg's first movie, right.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a heavy double feature right there. That is the great thing about the 70s. You know, if
1: you follow Twitter, if you follow guys, one thing we like to post are movie ads from newspapers from the 1970s and look at all the movies that were available at the time. Yeah. Movies for everybody. And then contrast that to three weeks ago when every theater is showing Doctor Strange. And I said, it's not the same. You don't understand that the reason why you're excited about this movie, which is simply just a B-movie. It's a B-movie about a guy and his kids being chased by a lion. is because it's kind of those old-fashioned, mid-level B-movies B that you were raised on, that you saw over and over again. And there's less of them today.
0: No, I, kinda, I couldn't agree just, more. That's, that's why it's really hard for me to get excited. I mean, like... I know that it's there's an expectation of some kind to do your best to keep up with all the new movies when you're a film critic. And, I don't do it anymore. I don't try. And and, and it's hard. I mean, I, am I going to sit through Top Gun Maverick when I wasn't that crazy about the original? I don't. No. I don't think and I can I saw, do it. I saw Top Gun Maverick,
1: and I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, eh.
0: You
1: I'm know, sure there's, I'm I, sure
0: there's great sequences, and you know, yeah.
1: But, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, is, is that um, you should see James Gray. James Gray. The well, film. I'm director. doing an episode on James Gray in July. So well, perfect. Look timing. at the video he ke- he came out with last week. Mm. It's on Twitter. I, I I'll, I'll I'll
1: tweet it to you. Okay. He he talked about everything that's wrong with the movies today. Not that he's putting down these movies, but he's saying the same thing: the mid-level movie, the mid-level film. You know, that's wild too. Because
0: even when I saw his movie Two Lovers, I thought this movie could have came out in the seventies. You know, yeah, yeah. And and the thing about it
1: is that I'm kind of happy that the Michelle Leo film has done so well. It's the biggest-grossing film. Well, everything always ever everything at once, or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Which the biggest grossing film. It's the biggest grossing film A24 has released. The biggest grossing film, and I said it's in theaters. And I said people will come out to see a mid level film if you give them something that's interesting they want to see. Exactly. You know that's it. That's the secret, folks. That's the secret. That's something Hollywood lost. You know the mid-level films, these bread-and-butter movies. It's what studios, you know, studios now make their money on on the tentpole movies, the franchise films. Mm-hmm. They used to make their movies on the uh, money on the bread-and-butter movies. Oh yeah, that's what they made their most money, the most money—the bread-and-butter films. Sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they made money,
0: sometimes they flopped.
1: But that's what you make your money.
0: No, I, I, I much prefer. I think that's why I really did appreciate the Chicago critics film festival because there was a lot of low key intimate character driven dramas for the most part and often anchored with really great performances. And I kind of went, this is, yeah, I, this is what I would prefer to be regularly and readily available in the multiplex. And here you are tracking it down on Hulu or whatever, but yeah, know. it's just, it's a weird time.
1: I mean, I can understand a movie like, um, like Good Luck to You, Leo Grant. That plays perfect on streaming. Yeah, there's two sure. characters in a hotel. That's perfect. That's fine. But a movie like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's film, oh, um, Boogie, Night. Bo- *Boogie Nights*. I said, boy, this there was a time not that long ago where studios took
0: risks. I felt a little melancholy afterwards because. I flashed back in my mind, in my mind, to when I first saw it, and like the run from maybe even before that, ninety six to ninety nine, I was going to see all these independent films, and not just because oh, you know Tarantino said it was great or whatever. It was just because they were in even a suburban multiplex. Oh, yeah. I saw David Cronenberg's crash in a suburban (laughs) mall multiplex in Indiana. And it was just like there was a time, yeah, when you could just go and see these amazing works of art. And maybe not all of them were, you know, transcendent. And a lot of them were Tarantino ripoffs. But they were there. They are movies for adults. And they weren't just these big comic book spectacle films
1: well you know i always tell the, i always told the story that you know when I, I grew up there was a neighborhood movie theater ah the neighborhood movie theater where you can actually walk to see a picture in your neighborhood and it was the high park movie theater and a lot of times a lot of times on a, on a uh, they, they would show you know, films had opened downtown, and now we'll opening second, but oh, there we show new pictures, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy who owned the, the the Hyde Park Theater had very eclectic tastes, right? So um, one day, uh, I'm going past the marquee, and it's the top, the marquee says "Stolen Kisses." <laughs> I said, "Stolen Kisses, what is that?" Ooh, that sounds dirty. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, I go in to see Stolen Kisses. And to my surprise, it's a French movie with subtitles by this guy named François Trouffet. Yeah. (laughs) Trouffet? Trouffet. And I didn't understand what was going on or anything, but it was different. Yeah. And that was the first. I don't know. That wasn't the first French. I didn't know it definitely wasn't the first foreign film I saw. It was the it was the first Truffaut film I've seen. Oh, let me take that back. Maybe I no. Let me take that back. I saw Fahrenheit 451 first. That's right. But that was English. Fahrenheit Four Five One. But but I it was different. Yeah. And I can't say as, as a kid I can't remember what I thought of it and I probably didn't like it or I didn't understand it. But it was different.
0: Yeah, and th- may be curious, I think the first foreign film I might have seen was um, Wong Kar Wai's *Chung King Express*, and it blew me uh-huh. away. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Oh, I can't remember what the first foreign movie. I, I think
0: I, was, I, I could be mistaken. It might, maybe. Uh, I might, I might have seen *Cinema Paradiso*. I don't remember now. If I, I
1: want to say. I want to say almost certainly whatever foreign film was, I probably saw it on TV because mm. didn't show foreign films a lot, particularly PBS or Channel Eleven at the time. We show foreign films. It could have been Black Orpheus. Oh, mm. that's a, that'd it be could good
0: have one.
1: been it could have been uh, could have been Four Hundred Blows. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. I can't yeah. call. But I just but, yeah, like we're saying. But, yeah, so. but um, that's why to put in a little plug. I, I am. I am. I was really so honored and so happy to be to be invited to be part of the TCM Classic Film Festival mm. experience to introduce some pictures because, like I it told one of the I, I told the audience before one of the uh, uh, one one of, one of the uh, one of the screenings I, I introduced, I said uh, every night before I go to bed I turn on the TV, well the TV in this room to TCM because the first thing I turn on is you know to see what's showing. It may be something I've seen before I love. It may be something I haven't of course something I've never seen before. and I'll sit in my pajamas <laughs> you know, watching a movie before I do anything else. And you know it's this love of film. And that experience I had they showed 80 movies over four days. Oh, wow! from people from all over the country. I met people from Nashville, from Massachusetts, from Chicago in an elevator. A guy recognized my voice. That's wild. And he said, I was I was on my way to the green room. I forgot. what I was always going up to the green room. There were several green rooms, you know, where they're showing in the theaters. Yeah. I was going to one of the green rooms, and he said, I've heard You're in the director's club, aren't you? I recognize your voice. (laughs) Wow.
0: (laughs) Well, it is a place where cinephiles are gathering. That is a tribute to you and to the podcast. It has reach. Oh, no. And I'm so grateful for your love of film. And, you know, just... uh, you always bring up titles too that I just absolutely can't wait to see and have to make time to see mm-hmm. from this era. And I know that when um, Keith Gordon and I talk too in a couple of weeks, we have an incredible lineup of titles. That I mean, I just rewatched *Blast of Silence* and I was just like, oh, "Damn, yeah. damn!" I, saw, I, I
1: watched TCM showed it a few months ago. I watched it again. *Blast of Silence* you know, and here's the thing, and you can tell Keith Gordon this, and he will agree with me. Movies is a ever is a never ending discovery. Mm-hmm. Is a never ending discovery. There's always another film you discovered you hadn't seen before. There's always another director who you may have overlooked or didn't take seriously. And now you realize, oh, my God, I didn't realize. There's an actor. There's an actress. I was watching uh, a Mitchell Leysen film, No Man of Her Own, a few weeks ago on TCM. Thank God for TCM. I wouldn't do <laughs> If The news is too grim. The news is too grim.
0: Oh, no well, kidding. God, yeah. this and, week and, destroyed me. So I said, I got to learn more about Mitchell, Mitchell Lyson. Yeah, Oh, my yeah. goodness. It, it, it's so funny, too, because the, we can sort of wrap things up with this, because the moment Benediction ended, I wanted to find Brian Talrico and be like, yo, we got to do an episode on Terrence Davies, because I absolutely love that one, and I, I've seen a couple more from him, obviously, but he's just somebody I'm dying to binge on and talk about with both of you. Seriously.
1: Yeah, because as I said, um, there are some films that move me. Yeah. But um, Monday Closes.
0: That's a special film.
1: I saw myself as a Mm. kid. And when I met Terrence Davies, I told him that. I said, that movie is me when I was 10. I don't know how you did it. <laughs> but you you that was me as a kid.
0: Oh, well, I can't wait to watch that again. It's been a while. So, we're going to do that later in the year in September and I can't wait for that, of course. We're well, doing it with Brian, that'll be great because oh, I yeah. I because he um
1: Dave is a special, and you know when when I asked him to sign my copy of uh, Monday Closes, he said, "This is the first time everybody has asked me ever asked me for an autograph."
0: Hmm. I said, oh. "Really? Yeah, that's surprising because he's so great."
1: <laughs> I can't believe that.
0: Really? Yeah. Wow.
1: The Monday Closes. I saw that film with Nick Giglio, and I the first time we saw it, we, it was just us, and we were just like. We d- we couldn't move. Mm.
0: There was, y- yeah, I, I don't want to get too emotional myself, but there was something special about you being there, Dan Geyer being there, and Nick DiGiulio being there for Boogie Nights. Like, I was kind of moved even just having that thought. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, oh.
1: Well, all- I can tell you, I can, t- I can tell you the first time I saw a screening, at the, uh, the screening room Lake Street. And my dearest friend in the world who has now passed away, you know, mm-hmm. Terry Glover, who was, she's the person on my, she will never go on my Facebook page. She is, you know, she was everything. She knew me better than I knew myself. We were, it's going to be 10 years now since she passed. Yeah, it'll be 10 years. And it was, I was sitting next to her and she was sitting next to Ebert.
0: Oh, Wow.
1: And at the end of the movie Terry was wonderful. Terry was so great mm. when um uh you know of 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 you know the guy's name what's the guy's name the actor's name um the lead actor um Mark Wahlberg Mark Wahlberg when Mark Wahlberg pulls out pulls out <laughs> his joint right <laughs> you know I'm a superstar yeah. and Terry <laughs> Patted me on the hand. It's okay, baby. It's okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay
0: baby. It's all right. Oh, that's,
1: that's the kind of person she was. It's okay, baby.
0: Aw. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. I remember,
1: first we, we, it was just three, but me, her, and Ebert. And <laughs> both of them are gone. Both of them are gone.
0: Yeah. Wow. I know. It's, it's unreal. Oh. And think- I'm still here. Why? <laughs> oh, so because I've you're walking Wikipedia, as you know. I've had here. my challenges, as you know. <laughs> yeah, well, but, you're, um, you're here to be the professor of cinema. I'm here. I'm still here. Yeah. I'm still here. I'm still standing. Thank goodness for that. Where can people sort of find you? And in- oh, well, they can find me here. They can find me on Movie Madness Podcast. Yeah. they
1: can. Uh, they can find me on WHPK eighty-eight point five FM in Chicago uh, every Monday from twelve to noon. And uh, Tuesdays from twelve to three shows are pre-recorded i don't I don't have to go to the studio anymore I could just do it at
0: home <laughs> why not that's that's not it
1: really clears up my schedule
0: sure and
1: then um uh you can find me on Facebook you can find me on uh, on, on my name you can find me on Instagram on my name Um, You can find me on uh, uh, Twitter, uh, uh, Cinema underscore Sepia, Cinema underscore Sepia on Instagram. I had to change that because somebody didn't like what I said about Richard Jewell.
0: Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And
1: (laughs) then, of course, there's the Black Carpenter Film Festival, which I am looking at submissions all weekend. Oh, boy. you know, movies are still coming in. Uh, I can't. I can tell you. I can tell you that uh, the 30th, the 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 anniversary screening we're doing this year will be uh, the thirtieth anniversary screening of Boomerang. Nice.
0: So with
1: good. Eddie, mm. With Eddie. Sorry, with, with Reggie Hutland in person, director. And we're trying to get somebody else, not Eddie Murphy, <laughs> but a very beautiful woman.
0: Oh
1: boy. And uh, and I'm not talking about Robin Givens. Mm. <laughs> so we're working we're working who I'm sure we can very easily get. She'll come to the opening of a McDonald's. But we are uh, we are uh, working very very hard to get a certain person. Give oh. your fingers
0: And I'm grateful for all your hard work and really appreciate all of your insights and knowledge. You're a joy to talk to and listen to, of course. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks for everything, Sergio. Appreciate it. We'll we'll talk again in September for sure. Hope to run into mm-hmm. you and in, before then. Oh yeah, we'll be around. we will oh, be yeah. around. Cool, man. Yeah. All, right. All right. All right. Be in touch Thanks later. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. See ya.